0: hello welcome to episode three of the modern game podcast um here again as always with josh Forth, and this week we are going to be talking about patience um but before we jump into the topic um how is your game week going josh i'm gonna make oh. the, the listeners be a little bit
1: patient before
0: we really get stuck <laughs> in the
1: um My my game week is mixed uh i knew <clears throat> coming into the game week that predicting the Dynamo Zagreb lineup was going to be really, really tough with their Champions League qualifier last Tuesday and then one coming up this Tuesday and then playing like basically the weakest team in the division in uh, Istra. Um, I opted to play Livakovic, Lawrence, and Misic in basically my strongest lineup, which in hindsight was probably not the best play or like most sensible play but I sort of thought the upside was huge in that if they did play they would likely like s- just smash um and unfortunately Lawrence and and were both benched and then Istra scored like a consolation goal in the 86th um they both did get on the pitch but yeah neither scored particularly brilliantly so that wasn't great um and then a real kick in the stones is my challenge at rare pro lineup um I uh, the split stack uh Stoic defense and Callum McGregor and uh, Arsen Zacharian and Svanoslav Smolov from Dynamo, they were playing you new know, promoter for Cal. Um, it was all going absolutely superbly with uh, Smolov on 89.8 points and Zakarian on 81 points in the 92nd minute when uh, Zakarian decided to shout out the linesman, get himself a second yellow and get sent off. So uh, I went from like 200 points from two players to 168 from two players, which is still like not a worst start, but like if Zakarian had to stay on the pitch, I have a genuine chance of winning the division um spices top at the minute with a full Zenit stack which got like 490 but like even still like the three celtic players one of them's a super the other one's my captain so them getting 300 would is not out of the question i don't think at home to aberdeen so i still like i still could get a, you know a very decent reward out of this but yeah if zakarian stays on the pitch i think i have a genuine shot for a podium place essentially um yeah zenit did absolutely crush loco though five 0. so uh i got 360 points off the four Zenit Lands in challenger at rare and this is uh, slightly slightly frustrating is that i only have i have the 2020 cards i think i said to you uh in chat the other day um of the 2020 cards which obviously i sort of bought them at the start of this season thinking oh you know the, they'll lose the season bonus in like two or three months and then i'll have the best cards for like after the winter break and whatever and obviously the there's no more Russian cards, so the 2021 cards are getting the season bonus fall of this year. So I'm sort of, I am behind a couple of other Zenit stacks, which is really quite frustrating. I might have to pay some ETH to, to change those up. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's enough of me rambling on about my game week. Uh, i basically got two lineups in with a shout out of a prize. Um, well, I guess my gas rare is also sort of semi with a shout out of a prize, but I think Marco Grohl's going to be on the bench. Um, so yeah, it, you know it's going, I'm a bit disappointed with how it's gone, to be fair. What about you, mate?
0: so yeah it's been I'm mean, honestly it's been a game week of late drama for me as well uh I had my Argentinos junior stack who I you know they are really testing my patience because they seem to keep conceding the odd goal here and there and true to form they did that again this weekend and conceded one right at the death um I think that's like the 95th minute they conceded in um it was a bit bittersweet because on the other hand uh Jefferson Savarino who, who banged on in the 95th minute so there's been a, a lot of lot of late action. Um, you know, one you know my specialist super rare took a bit of a hit with the late goal. My specialist limited has take, taken a huge boost with the late goal. So um, yeah, mixed mixed game week, but I think. You know from chatting to you often we we tend to set ourselves quite high expectations when it comes to our our weekly output so yeah. you know we'll we'll talk about this uh, you know people will listen to this and hear us talking about like doom and gloom we've had a rubbish game week and then they'll see <laughs> that, you know, what what rewards we get and be like guys come on have a reality check but anyway that is enough you were... enough talk about our game weeks um let's talk about patience um i thought it was an interesting topic because you and i took very very different approaches to summer um i you know i already had to i already had a pretty solid america's contingent but i you know i sold and traded a bunch of other cards um really focusing on being strong over the summer whereas you you know, took the approach of sitting out. So I think it'd be interesting, like, you know, just talking about how that was, because you were still very active in the chat. And I know, like, obviously, like, many times we're talking and sharing prizes, and you're like, just counting down those weeks. So <laughs> like, I think it'd be interesting from a, you know, just from a strategy perspective of, like, you know, what made you take that decision? You know, I, 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 I credit you for sticking with it because you know all these weeks when we're rolling out here's what we've won must have been um you know a, a big old test of that patience
1: yeah that was pretty yeah. grim, To be fair. um uh, so i think if we rewind yeah. i think the decision comes if we rewind right back to like when i first joined so rare which I, is like uh, february uh, i think i don't even know how you can check this now um, but yeah, I think it was like February twenty I'm a I'm a boomer, so yeah. The, whenever Gary V joined, um, I actually had nothing to do with Gary V. I did not know who he was. Um, I did not look at his tweet, but just coincidentally joined at the same time as lots of other people. By the looks of things, I actually got in like a week earlier than like the main boom. I think uh, if you look at the Sora data charts, there's that that really big steep incline, isn't there? On you know when you see. The, like the peak of the boom happening basically and those Felixes and, and Mbappe's were going for crazy money um so yeah I joined like a week before that and uh and stuck a few you know a couple of quid onto the platform and like the early players I bought because of the period I joined they boomed in price massively and I was able to sort of capitalize off the back of that and make some smart plays um mm. and was sort of competitive in Europe until the end of the European season so this was like through March and April and then it sort of finished right um I had a I had a couple of good teams. I remember having a, like a couple of decent lineups in the um, the Belgian playoffs. Rafailov and Ember did some bits for me for, um, for Antwerp and, and these sorts of things. And then it got to the end of the season. And I was like, I, you know, I didn't really want to put too much more money into the platform. Um, and I didn't really want to, you know, I wasn't really too interested in MLS. And I wasn't really too interested in the, I think the reason I wasn't interested in it is I love the game week follow, right? At the weekends, I love being able to follow my game weeks, watch the games check the server data app on your phone and like follow along with the game you can really get into it and obviously with those america games and the asia games the time zone is just completely different like i'm sleeping whilst these guys are playing so i can't really do that it just it didn't get me as engaged with the game as i was with the european teams um Mm -hmm. so i was like on that first cycle i was like right i'm going to sit this summer out and just build my challenger and all-star teams for um the winter uh, throughout that period so I did invest a little bit more into the platform and picked up some um some good bargains in the off-season I think like buying bargains last off-season was a lot different to buying bargains this off-season I think a lot, people have become a lot more educated to you know what is going on um I picked up the Lars Unastor Super Air in the off-season of 2021 for 0.269 mm on an auction oh. so wow <laughs> it just transferred from psv to or it, you know he was going to transfer from psv to 20 so um yeah. yeah and i had that information and i was like right i'm going to buy this this super i bought a rare as well which i've since sold um mm. But yeah, and and you know, I made a few of these sort of buys, like trying to set myself up, and the whole aim was to get to Division Two uh, at the time when I joined the platform. The higher you were up in the divisions, the more likely you were to win, just because there weren't as many people that can make competitive lineups in those divisions. Um, it unfortunately, back for me, obviously, because Division Two prizes are very very bad um, but that was basically why I set myself up and was patient in that first year is that I just wasn't interested in MLS and in the other America and Asia leagues and wanted to try and be competitive as, as competitive as possible for when Europe returned mm-hmm. Um, in the 2022 off season we've just been through I actually had a much more different strategy so um, in December of last year I basically decided that I didn't want to wait this summer to to wait all of the summer, and I wanted to play some America, so I bought myself a full River Plate stack. And I basically, I'd had lots of success stacking IAX in Europe um throughout the winter last year, and was like, I think River Plate are going to be the IAX of Americas, right? um mm. And one of the things I did was just buy all of their U23 players. You know, I'd seen the amounts of money that your Timber, your martinez's your Antonies were going for, and I was like, if I can pick up some of these guys, which maybe are flying a little bit under the radar in January, and december basically um then when they kick in in the summer months you know i can either they're either going to be really strong and i can play them or i can choose to sell them on um and in the end i did choose to sell them on so i did have a full uh rare river plate side for um you know i trained them up from buying them in january uh, i bought enzo fernandez for 0.12 and uh, armani for 0.4 and you know all the you know the decent bargains you could get back in December if you were buying America and I anticipate you know there'll be similar situations again this year um but then when I got to the America season to the summer you know I was talking to you and a few others in our chat and I was like guys I'm just, I think I'm just gonna sell again. like there were pieces that I wanted to um, improve again in my Challenger teams and my all-star teams in my U23 teams for the winter and I felt like me not playing D3 or rare uh, pro divisions in the summer and just running a River Plate lineup, which a lot of people were going to have, and it didn't really offer me enough variance. I felt like, you know, I was either going to have to invest significantly more in America to to get competitive, you know, seeing all your guys' teams, I was like, you know, I, I'm not really going to be competing that much. And I sort of thought, you know, I can sell these guys now at like the right, the right time to, to sort of... To get as much yield you know i basically thought that i would yield more selling them now than i would from playing the summer with the lineup um so yeah so i sold them and bought some uh i bought a, the dynamo zagreb stack so yeah i sold i sold all of the river plate players and then bought a full dynamo zagreb stack for d3 so Livakovic, ristovsky super rare message super air satalo who i've since sold um bruno petkovic you know and i targeted some late european weeks in the end of last season as well with those players. You know, there was one game week where only Zagreb were a licensed team playing. Um and yeah. you know I was able to pick up basically a free star award in, in D3, which was nice. I remember that. That was the week where that yeah. was the week that forced Zero's hand to
0: like make it if you scored zero you wouldn't get a prize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so they crazy that was such award. a ridiculous week. Like thinking back really. on it, I wish I'd just purchased like any random limited just to play. Yeah. Because like I think people were like something stupid like 70 people won with zero something crazy but I'm glad they have uh subsequently changed it because that ruling was Absolutely. stupid. I remember yeah. Sean Newsham uh, PSU he once he got a podium once yeah you got like yeah. a podium in D2 with zero and it's just
1: like oh, yeah. nice free money for you this week Sean right. um, yeah. Yeah. um but yeah so I think like the... The reason why i was so patient uh, you know and again i didn't feel like i was losing a lot of value from not playing the summer because i couldn't get engaged in the games i could do in europe because so i couldn't watch the games I, I was asleep whilst the games were playing um mm-hmm. and so i wasn't as attached to the cards and i didn't feel as bad like getting rid of them and then the other thing which for you know was I think maybe the deciding factor in doing that this year was that the i realized the summer break in europe was just really really short you know like uh like i mentioned we had um croatia and russia come back you know they've already had what is this uh, third game week or fourth game week Something like that. third game mm-hmm. week i think um so yeah they've already had like three games uh and you know with excuse me with um some belgian league playoff stuff and with some nation's league stuff you know i didn't actually stop playing until uh you know the sort of middle of may so i basically had six weeks to wait until i could play again which yeah. i thought was a but you know and to be honest mate i just was a bit run down of of playing so rare for a little bit from like when getting into the end of the european season i was like you know what i'm actually looking forward to having a bit of a break um so i think yeah that is how i was able to stay patient uh I definitely was ready to come back and play when it when it kicked back off in in July but yeah I think that was sort of my reasoning you know I was able to sell the America cards I had bought earlier in the year for um a lot of profit I even got rid of them in a bundle and I probably could have got much more money for them if I'd just held them but I wanted to make some quick moves with the youth, basically um and yeah so I was able to realize profit on those more profit I thought than if I carried on running the lineup and I think that probably is correct you know River Plate although they've had a few good wins they haven't been consistently great this summer Um, I don't think they've been as good as people thought they would be me included um and yeah I think the reason was just that the summer break was short I wasn't as engaged in American football as I was in European football um and yeah I thought that I could add some real quality to my European lineups I bought you know Celtic players basically and Zagreb players with the River Plate funds and some of the funds that I had through selling some of the cards so yeah mm-hmm. I think you know that puts me in a really strong position for for now basically and you know up up until the World Cup I think um you know I think the sacrifice of doing that is how I've justified it basically with the pieces I brought into my gallery yeah no absolutely
0: it has been I mean you talked about River Plate there it, it has been an odd summer so I think everyone thought yeah. that they were going to absolutely smash like they did towards the end of last season yeah but I think people forgot yeah. that there was actually a period last season where they just they weren't very good um and then like they went on an absolutely storming run at the end of the season and I think what was interesting about it is like I personally I made a lot of moves to try and put myself in a good position for under 23 in the summer but then Enzo left <laughs> to join Benfica yeah. and my under 23s have actually really been fairly flat to be honest I like, and it was quite interesting when like, I was looking back the other day at like you know I, I sort of doubled down in the summer because I had a couple of quite solid cards you know I had Gil who yeah. admittedly has not performed as well as everyone thought he would I had Enzo who you know he was a summer option that I invested in and then he quickly became not a summer option because he transferred to Benfica. but you know sort of looking back on it um I think one of the the trades that I made was I traded at Van Kronbrugge for Blake and Yeah. and Blake has actually been you know if I look back at what I've won with Blake he's you know one Carranza of one Morris and Raul, Diaz, Raul Ruiz Diaz so I won three T1s that you know really in all reality I probably wouldn't have won if I hadn't you know sort of doubled down and, and tried to strengthen the teams that I already had but I think you know I was already in a position whereby I felt I had quite a strong collection of attack minded players for summer and I sort of really Really? needed to lock in that um, you know upgraded goalkeeper and and defender option I bought uh, Andre Blake and Kai Wagner because I i initially my my sort of focus and when I sort of first started playing America was I bought Carlos Acevedo and Felix Torres and I think literally the moment I bought in Santos Laguna in Liga MX they have been absolutely (laughs) trash. But what is interesting now is, you know, I sort of made the plan to, you know, sort of trade into stronger teams over the summer and then keep maybe some of the the meta players like Gil and Cecenia, and run them with some of my stronger, you know, challenger players just because you've got this sort of wonderfully long period of overlap this season because everything's been squished with the World Cup. So my whole idea was to try and you know win as much as I could when only America and Asia were playing I didn't really dive into Asia I've got a couple of like really strong cards that I run in Global but I I didn't really play Asia because of you know sort of perceived lack of liquidity on cards but then the challenge is now is that a lot of the America players like I sold out of a couple of them so like Gillian Carranza at the time I won him I was like okay he's on a bit of a heater and actually I'm like my under 23 forward depth is is pretty strong so I don't need him so I sold him quite quickly but then like Raul Rui Diaz I was like oh you know I'll wait for him to come back from injury and then I'll sell him so I was being quite patient with him but then the the sort of floor on most America price uh, cards has completely collapsed so then I'm now in position of like okay well am I patient like do I hold all of these cards through to next season or do we see a a sort of recovery in the price of America cards because I think what I've seen is it seems like a lot of people are selling out of America not so much Asia because Asia was never really as popular but they're selling out of America and Asia and buying maybe Challenger Euro because they want to compete and they think oh the new season's starting and they want to compete but I'm not really sure the wider server community has fully acknowledged how big this overlap is and what the impact of this overlap is going to be on prizes. Because, like, now we've basically got a two- to three-month window pretty much from now until the World Cup, although Japan finishes slightly earlier and, you know, MLS obviously depends if your team gets to the playoff. But we've basically just got, like, an absolutely golden period for awards because everything's going to be playing for a lot, yeah. for quite a while. We had it, everything's going to be playing at the end of last season. And I think if I remember rightly, it ran for like six six weeks approximately. Whereas now we've got like double the length of period where all yeah, of the teams are playing. And I've sort of been having this, this um, sort of dilemma because, you know, Morris and Ra- Ra- Rui Diaz were prizes but then I've gone out and bought Savarino as a forward who's like you know my number one pick for forward and then I've got players like Akankara and I was looking at the other day and I was like I don't need all of these America forwards like I think I have something stupid like seven or eight Rares and I'm like I only play you know Rare and Rare Pro like I don't need all of these but then I'm looking at it and I'm going okay well you know raul rui diaz was trading for like 0.5 0.6 e not that long ago yeah and then it's just been very unfortunate that he's been injured during this sort of cool down of america's prices with everyone like pulling out and going to europe so i'm like okay am i pa- do i be patient and wait or do i cash that out and try and strengthen my euro size again because i think you know i was looking at it the other day and i was like realistically i need another challenger euro goalkeeper if i want to run challenger europe rare and rare pro um but then the other sort of flip side to it is like do we see people moving back into america if there is an opportunity to win in global and the price of challenger and you know sort of european based cards spiral yeah. because you know if you look at Ru- Rui diaz when he's fit you know he, he's a regular very regular goal scorer like and he need score well so then it's like if he drops down to like 0.2 ETH, then it's like okay well what can you get comparatively in in europe so yeah. i'm having this quandary and i completely get like I, you know i sort of look at it very much purely from the numbers perspective as i'm like how much is player a going to cost me and what's their expected scores whereas i completely appreciate your point and i think like the wider serra so community in more enjoy being able to watch along with the games like for me like america i'm not watching those games because most of the time i'm asleep so like i you know you sort of have this like waking up roulette of like did the player do well, did the player do well? yes they did well amazing my team's like you know sort of like this weird like anticipation and excitement when you wake up like logging into several data, to check your scores and you're like Oh, no, they did do it terribly, um, whereas, like, now I'm really enjoying, like, just before this call, I was, you know, watching a bit of the Genk-Liege uh, match, and it is, you know, super exciting to be able to watch your team live. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just think it's it's sort of a really interesting one, because, the you know, the patience extends not just in terms of the choice of when to play, but the choice of hold versus sell. Like I went I've gone through a couple of periods where I've just gone, okay, I want to change things up. I'm selling all of these as a bundle, you know, they're gone, I've got my new targets that I want to buy. Yeah. And um, is that always the right decision? Probably not. Like, you know, there's been some players actually I think I got out of at the right time. Like I was not patient with David Atroa. Um, you know, sort of saw signs that you know, the coach was talking up Zach McMath and I was like, mm, something's odd's going on here because Ochoa was, you know, great for them last season. You know, I got out of achoa when he was like one ETH. Um, you know, he might rebound now, he's going back to DC. But, you know, that would have been a lot of money tied up in David Ochoa all summer, yeah, sure. not not be using him. But I remember in the same bundle deal, I also s- sold Robert Leverchich because I was looking at the time and his scores, to be fair, his scores at Rapid were fairly average like yeah you know they were middle of the road like he rarely got decisive like he was in that sort of 45 to 55 range for a lot of his scores and i i sort of lost patience with him and then he's gone to zagreb and is absolutely smashing so i think it's like an interesting one i'd love to get your thoughts on it like you know thinking about when to celebrate player like when to be patient versus you know, when to just be fairly cutthroat and go, you know what, actually, I'm just sat on a ton of ETH here that could be used to improve my teams. And I think I've always been, you know, I've still got an overly inflated gallery, if I'll be honest, but I've, I've tried to be quite ruthless with going, okay, if I'm sat on these players and there's no, like, midterm horizon of they're going to be usable for me in the, you know, sort of. I sort of look at it as like, if I don't see a player being usable for me in the, like the next three to six months, then I'll try and get rid of them. Um, but then as an example, uh, I had Ozan Tufan, who was one of my very first signings on SORA when he was playing at Fenerbahce. And he was a, you know, he was a pretty solid scorer there. Um, he did really well for me in the first season. And then that summer, he got a transfer to Watford and just completely died and i ended up looking i think like at the time i was very loss averse i was early on the platform i was like oh no i don't want to sell him no i can't sell him for like you know 40 percent of his value that i paid for him and i remember i just sat i just kind of like consigned him to the depths of the gallery and sort of thought you know what i'm going to forget about this and then he's popped back up this weekend because he's signed for whole city and he's in the championship and suddenly he's become like a serviceable, usable car for me. But I think, you know, throughout my Sora journey, I have been fairly ruthless. I tend to be a little bit more ruthless with players that are over 23. Yes. Um, Because you see, like, the under 23 players, like, I've got a bunch of them, like, you know, Nicola Ravella, Ivan uh, Illich there's a bunch of ones I'm just like you know actually they don't get near my side but they're kind of at that age of like if they do get a favorable transfer then you know we know what happens to under 23s when they get a favorable transfer or a start you know in the case of goalkeepers so I'd just be really interested to hear your thoughts on it because I think sometimes I try to be patient and then I'm like no no I really need to upgrade this team and then I'll just get rid of a load and like I'm like okay fine like you know I can write that off because You know, say I lose like 0.2 ETH on selling off all these cards, I've just unlocked like 1.5 ETH which is going to strengthen my team and then, you know, if I'm basically then, I'm targeting, I'm like, okay, well in like the next two to three months I need to win X amount value of cards to make that trade net positive for me, or make that trade worthwhile. Um, But I'd be really interested because I think like we've always talked about decisions around transfers and buying and selling players, but I don't think if ever really asked you like you know do you have a a set approach to this or do you treat by case to case basis or like me do you tend to hoard under 23s knowing that if they have a good good couple of games they're probably gonna absolutely fly in price anyway i say as i have about nine carlos questers at the moment i can, throw, I can bring <laughs> a solid two even then
1: yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, I do think it's, I think it's very much specific to what your gallery is, like what position you are at and So rare. Um, PSU uh, Sean Newton always talks about how he basically just like never sells anything under the age of twenty-three. Like he'll just, you know, even if someone's. The biggest shitter on the platform if they're under 23 like he'll just hold them until they get into a better position and then then make a, a view on them and that's that's sort of how i like to play it and i think it is very much split up into like two categories you've basically got like prospects and then you know like proven players um or you know not maybe not even proven players but like you know non-prospects let's just say um and i think yeah i would much rather hold the prospects long term even if they're worth a considerable amount of ETH um i have a jay gorter for instance who i bought a long time ago and have held for a long time just because um you know i think he's i think he's an exciting young goalie he says after he's just let him five against psv yesterday um so yeah i think i definitely do do it more with goalkeepers i've also got a bruggan uh nico mantle you know these sorts of players i like to hold and you know it is tricky because they are worth a, a lot of eth you know um you know those three goalkeepers combined, probably like three or four ETH uh, I've, I've got there in goalkeepers that aren't playing. Um, and I think, you know, and again, even with outfield prospects, um, I actually did sell a Mohamed Kudus uh, about four weeks ago, um, just because I thought with the additions Ajax have made and, you know, Kenneth Taylor coming through, um, you know, they've also filled up on additional winger spots. They've kept Anthony. They've bought Bergwine. They've still got Tanch that can play on the wing, which is another position Cruz could play, although he's predominantly a central midfield player. Um, I just sort of thought he wouldn't get as much game time this year and you know he didn't get much game time last year at all and I would held him all through that and I just sort of lost my patience with him a little bit I was like right I'm gonna get rid of him he's a decent chunk of eighth. he was like half an eighth or something and since then you know in preseason he's probably been the biggest winner out of the ix players in preseason uh he scored a good goal yesterday um he's played really well throughout the friendlies and actually wouldn't surprise me if he started next week against Fortuna Sittard um over Kenneth Taylor or David Klassen in the uh, 10 or 8 position um, yeah. but That is a bit of an anomaly for me. I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't normally do that. So I think with prospects, I would much rather hold until they, you know, get a run of games, get one game. If you're talking about a goalkeeper or a potentially favourable transfer, Um, and even then, like you know, the Verbruggen transfer news. You know, I think normally quite a lot of managers might look to sell out of that. It wasn't concrete. He was going to Burnley. He didn't go to Burnley in the end, but his price was inflated so much that it looked like it was a done deal. Right? Um, I actually did. yeah it was you know he basically went up to two ETH, um and i i did ha- i have hold i'd still do hold for burin and i would have held through that because of the utility he could have given me um this season yeah. but yeah i think with your your non-prospect players i am much more impatient with them um i think you probably remember last season with rude vorma i bought rude Vormer for like 0.3 ETH at the beginning of last season and you know had a had a good run of games with, actually probably the season before yeah anyway bought Rude Verma at some point for a decent chunk of ETH and in the end end up selling him for like 0.05 um, just because I was like you know I think it is time to just cut your losses and be done with with this type of player um, same mm-hmm. goes for a bunch of other players the the last super air stack I had from last year you know they didn't do a lot in the second half of last year a lot less than what i thought they mm-hmm. would so in the off season you know they were gone and i think another thing which really influences my decision on this is if i have targets that i want to purchase you know if i don't have yeah. an ETH and i'm not looking to put any more money into the platform at that moment who are my dispensable players who are the players that i that i don't class as prospects that i don't think mm-hmm. it's going to be massively detrimental to me to move on now in you know and in six months time then be worth five six seven ten x what they were when i sold them you know so i'm trying to identify who are dispensable players who are players that you know if i if i don't need the ETH, i'll just sit on them you know until they until they become a a more valuable asset or until they get game time again or you know a number of these things mm-hmm. but if i need some ETH, who are my dispensable players that i actually don't mind getting rid of and can get a decent amount for And you know at that point i'll make a decision on how patient i Want to be or don't want to be with the cards essentially.
0: Yeah. I think I I I do follow a similar similar approach. To be honest, I think like there's certain ones I'm like you know what, like I don't want to get rid of this player. You yeah. Know, even if they're not part of the, you know what I sort of see as my cohort of lineup, like players that I would consider using in a lineup each week. Like I do tend to play fixtures, but you know I sort of intuitively know which players you know might get a chance you know there was yeah. and, and and to put it into the prospect ones like Nathaniel Santini is a, is a really good example of that for me I actually bought his super rare for like 0.15 like it was something stupid like it was really really cheap at the time and I bought him because I i would looked at stats on I haven't seen him play but i would watched some stats on that just not start some wise scout and he looked like a decent prospect like he's he you know, sort of wins a lot of jewels plays out from the back and then scion that seemed to genuinely be a pretty crisis club anyway like they changed their manager he was dropped he then got injured and i'm thinking oh do i just like get out of this guy because i'm just like you know a bit fed up and i was like no 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 like he's a, you know 21 year old center back he's good on the ball like i'd be mad to do it and then yeah this weekend, he's just dropped an 84. And a monster, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah, wow. Yeah, he just dropped a huge score. And like, I'll be honest, like, I was very close to selling him. And I think even if you look back, I might have listed him a couple of times, like, just because I was, like, very desperate to get some ETH in to, to put some other targets, um, get some other targets. But I think I've, and it sounds odd, but I think I've got more patient as the quality of my rewards have increased because it's right. given me more liquidity to sell the rewards I you know for the first six months and if you know you look back at what I won I I tend to win very like regularly but like tons of t3s like right. loads of them and then the t2s and t1s that I won would ended up being like ones that got caught by the the sober value lag so, right. you know, Tony Martinez was one, Nicolas Acevedo was another, there was Leon Flack at Philadelphia. They were all like top end T1s, but by the time I got them, they were worth like maybe 30 to 40% what you know, everything around them in, in the pool was. And I think there were times there where I got really frustrated in the sense that I was like, oh, come on, I should be doing better. Like I wanna push to win more tier ones or I want to push to win stars, but I, you know, I didn't want to put money into the platform and, and I'm sort of like trying to, you know, liquidate what I've got. But then, you know, sometimes I think if you're, you're being impatient, you can make decisions that, you know, you'd live to regret. Yeah. But then I think it, you know, it comes back to that point around like, where is your gallery? What are your aims for your gallery? because you know if I look at it like I've always wanted to be stronger in under 23 and but I acknowledge when I first joined the platform that I haven't got the bankroll to buy into elite under 23. like I've got to be patient I've got to play my way into under 23 I've got to identify players that are going to be able to like you know something will change they'll become more favorable they you know they will in time become the players that are valuable you know Jen's Odegaard is one example of that and you talked about Unastor in the sense that you you knew the player was quality and the moment you saw that the transfer was was in the offing you're like okay brilliant well you know I I I can be patient with that player because I know that there's an upside there when they start and you know Odegaard was that one of like I actually bought him before AZ was confirmed but I'm thinking okay well this guy's clearly too good for for one lick apologies to any any fans of uh <laughs> listening in but you know you could see last season he was too good for them and yeah. and you know there was a period where I think he I even bought him when he went red X which I don't know why he went red X because he was still a Sassuolo player but like you know there's this weird period where Opta like stuck him as a red X I'm like okay I'm gonna grab him because he was like 0.2 um, 0.25 something around that region But, you know, I was sort of like looking at it and I was making an assessment on the upside and thinking, okay, yes, brilliant. Like I, you know, if I hold on to this guy, there's a really good chance because AZ are a really, really good attacking team. And like Santini was kind of in that same vibe. I was going, look, you know, there's no way that I'm going to have like a straight shootout to buy under 23 super rares that are starting that are capable of, you know, me competing in under 23 right here right now so i've kind of tried to buy a couple more prospects and be patient with them um you know hannes del croix is one that i really have had to be patient with because i bought him and then he got injured like very And my immediate was like oh do i ditch him but then i was like you know what like i've got what i believe is a very promising under 23 super rare for like 0.3 e so i'm like okay now i'm gonna I'm gonna hold him and like you know touch wood he does seem to be fit at the start of this season which is which is good um and then the other one is is Zablos, who so i'm like i strongly believe he has the talent that should be playing more regularly but you know for one reason or another he's in and out of that team and i'm like oh like you know do i do i just cut, cut out of him um and, and get someone that I know plays week in, week out. But then I'm like, okay, well, no, like Zabalos, I feel like he could move to Europe, and if he gets, like, a favorable move to a challenger Europe side, then he probably 3Xs in price overnight. Like, you see what happens. Like, if he, yeah. if Zabalos goes to, like, a top three or top five team in the era divisi, like, the, the demand for him will just, like, go skyrocket. So I think, you know, I do sort of although I don't sort of, or haven't broadly stated it before this call, I think I've sort of followed that same approach with yourself in like patience isn't binary. It's there's a lot more fluid in the sense that I'm making an assessment on that player's ability to Mm -hmm. deliver in the future compared to my immediate need. And I think that it can be a really difficult to strike that balance and sort of say when is the right time. And you know, go back to your point as well, is that it is very different for people of different gallery sizes. Like, yeah. I think if I if my gallery size was a lot smaller, I think I would like you'd kind of be forced to be more ruthless. Yes. because if you if you're riding players into the ground and then you don't have more money to put into the platform then you know people are oh you know I don't want to take a loss but then it's like okay well you you take a loss but what is the possibility of strengthening your team with that eth that that you've got and I think like the really interesting one here and I know you sort of mentioned it just for the call but like limited like the limited prices can be up and down like a yo-yo like you know I I've been You know, I don't really play limited, like, the the set divisions, but I'm going to be honest, I absolutely love the Specialist tournament. And I'm intentionally not being patient with those players, because the under 40 players, like, I am buying them for the matchup. Like, that's it. Like, I'm literally, like, targeting two players in the under 40 slot that I think have a good matchup that weekend that can hopefully put me in the mix for a decent prize. So I'm, I'm already going into that with a mindset of going, okay, I'm not going to be patient. I'm buying them. I'm bringing them in for one week. I'm trading in and out of fixtures. And I might, actually might. So most likely I'm going to take a loss selling yeah. back out of a player. But it then becomes a calculation of, is that expected loss going to be offset by what I could win, um, which I think is sort of an interesting way of looking at it. and like you know I'm, I'm you know under 23 super rares is like max level patience for me <laughs> limited <laughs> over 23s i'm like ah eh, yeah I, you know oh well will just and um, so i think it it is really interesting when you think about that and it's like it's contextual mm. patience
1: yeah absolutely i think the the good i think a really good point you uh, touched on there is like the opportunity cost of of taking a loss on players like i do think you're right like lots of people on the platform are like um, they don't want to say scared, but like apprehensive of taking ETH losses or fiat losses on their players. Um and I think it's a really good point you make is that, yeah, you know, you might be taking a loss on one player that you bought six months ago or what have you, and you've held because you didn't want to take a loss on him. But actually, what opportunities does it give you when you unlock the ETH from the player to go ahead and like, you know, you can sit on that player for another six months and he yeah, he might become more valuable and he you might be able to turn a profit on him. But actually, if you'd sold him the six months prior and bought someone else which can improve your gallery you know how much are you winning in that time frame that you would have just sat on that player with the ETH locked up in him i think like the the big patience players like like donnarumma last season for instance i genuinely don't believe that there are there were many galleries on the platform that should have had a donnarumma last year like i think unless you have like a you have like a 200 plus ETH gallery like there probably wasn't Mm -hmm. much point in having donnarumma um, just because of how expensive he was, and for how unlocked of the start he was, and so like if you had one and you had like a, a reasonable size gallery or like a, a more budget-friendly gallery, like I don't think he's a player you should have been holding on to for the, um, you know, to try and make a, uh, a payday or you know, cash in on him at a later date. I think you should be selling mm-hmm. him, realizing your eth, and then sticking that into a team to you know try and make. Make more back than what you would have done if you just held him and sold him now. It's maybe a poor example yeah. because obviously he's extremely expensive now because of you know everything that's you know the PSG goalkeeper situation. But I think the 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 point is is correct, right? Like you know if you have a player which is not playing or not contributing to your gallery, but um, enormously outweighs the ratio of like their cost compared to your gallery, then yeah. you know I'd sort of feel like no matter what the price you bought them at. Like, you know, if you can get some decent returns in and, you know, build your squads out better for selling them. And I sort of think, like, that's the play. And maybe that's something to be, like, impatient with. But um, yeah. yeah, I think, like, the opportunity cost of patience is something that you really have to weigh up. Like, what is going to be the best for me to do in this situation? Is it going to be to remain patient with this player? Like, um, you know, i use Jay Gorter again as an, as an example. I've sat on him for a long time. Um, he made some awful mistakes yesterday. If he hadn't made awful mistakes yesterday, does he go into the season as Ajax's number one? Maybe yes. If he does that, how expensive is his card? Four ETH? Five ETH for mm-hmm. a rare, maybe? You know, what's uh, Diogo Costa? That would be a good comp. I know um, Gorta is not going to be the national goalkeeper, whereas Diogo Costa is, but like similar team stature and stuff like that. And I genuinely think that people pay more for Ajax players because they're Ajax players. Um, so yeah I think you know you're looking
0: at at least 4.4 yeah last sale on Diogo Costa is 4.4 so you've definitely got the yeah and and I think that's the interesting point I know one of the guys in the chat earlier was was talking about you know just like buying up a bunch of America's players because they are so cheap right now and there's obviously quite a you know drop off in their prices but I think what's interesting here is, again, it comes back to that cost-benefit analysis in saying, okay, well, if you're locking up, you know, say half an E, right, and you, you buy one, two, three players, like whatever it is, and you're locking up half an E and your potential upside is that you make a 20% profit on that those purchases. when. The, the prices bounce back up and America starts up again and people are like oh you know I want to buy more American cars you know you do see the this very cyclical demand in America's and you know yes as the platform goes on longer there should be more people able to actually analyze when is that happening and, and you know when to buy in and when could you potentially make a bit of profit if you're patient but then if you think about it this way when is do do America's cards Increasing value again before the World Cup, because if you're not confident in that happening, then you're basically committing to locking up that ETH for six months until yeah. 2023. And if you're committing to lock that up for six months in exchange for a 15 to 20% profit, is it, it worth Seems it?
1: like a long time. Yeah. Yeah,
0: because you talk about like people saying, oh, you know, people potentially reluctant to take a loss. Are people? maybe overly like overvaluing any profit because for me i'm like if i've got to wait seven months to get a you know 20 percent increase like you know is that the best use of that ETH, or could i have bought someone that actually levels up my my team because you know say you put in half an ETH and you have a rare team that isn't like winning you know a t1 a month then you have to think about the amount of times that you could potentially win something, you know, like yeah. not like say you're taking a, a 20%, like 20% on 0.5 is 0.1 I e. mm-hmm. I'd argue you need to win one, team, one T2 rare in six months to cover yes, that. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah,
0: So then yeah. it's a case of going, okay, well, am I, like, I'm chasing profit and I'm being patient, but actually is... Should I be? patience the best play in that scenario yeah. i'd argue yeah. not but then i'm someone that's quite i'm very focused on i want to win and i want to win mm-hmm. very frequently and if i don't win very frequently i'll get annoyed <laughs> um so i'm you know i'm sometimes a little bit impatient with cards and selling them out because i want to unlock the eve okay. to immediately strengthen my team and that was what i did with liverchip last season like yeah. i was not competing in under 23 rep like it wasn't happening you know, and you know, Ljubicic, you know, popping up forty fives, and then like, you know, Feyenoord and PSV would play, and I'd be like, oh, and there goes the game week. <laughs> and so, like, for me at that time, the the cost of holding him or playing him when my under twenty three just wasn't competing, like I just felt that wasn't very valuable. And I think I, you know, I I cashed out of him, and I think that that might have been the time that I bought Ito and you know I bought ito and to be fair ito has been a great player for me like he has you know I think won me three or four pretty decent cards in a not very long period of time but then the issue is now is obviously I've held ito and ito's gone gone to reams and that is definitely not a favorable move and the there's a price chart definitely shows that whereas liverchurch has gone completely the other way he was not doing very well I, I don't say not doing very well because his peak scores just weren't there like and yeah, if you don't have average peak player, yeah. a player you know you realistically aren't aren't going to be winning anything of note um and it's gone completely the other way so like, i think if i were to be critical of myself i probably could have just you know been a little bit more patient with a young with a young player there but the trade was that i bought ito and ito won me four cards so then it's like, okay, well, actually, like, if I look on a pure profit play, I potentially left 0.6 ETH on the table yep, because yep. I didn't hold Livertich through that price rise. But the value of the cards that I won with Lito exceed that. that. Yeah. More than made up for that. So then it's like, was it a bad move or wasn't it a bad move? And I think that it is considering those variables when you are weighing up whether to be patient or not to be patient, I think is really important because it's not a simple yes or no, like it's not quite black and white decision. A lot of the time, it's like mm. conditional. It's like, oh well, if this, then that. Which I think I, I find it really interesting, and I think it adds a real element of strategy to the game because it's very easy to go and buy someone. If you've got a, if you've got an ETH balance, you can you know go and do it right there, right now, and you know you you've bought someone off the market within a minute. Um, yep. But I think selling people is a lot. Uh, people think a lot more and potentially are more risk averse when it comes to selling people than they are just buying someone. Yeah. Um, you know. And that's what I find, yeah, quite interesting about you know weighing up patients.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. I agree. Um, yeah. I was going to make another point there, actually. Um, yeah, I think I think it is really also um, interesting, the patience of, like, limited market. Um, and I think this is just because of the scarcity. I think what I mean by that is, like, uh, Brandon Michele isn't starting for Club Bruges today. He is on the bench. Um, oh. So I would be really surprised, if I look at Michele's price graph, that he does not have a bunch of sales way below his... Yes, like is lit is just been announced obviously but there's literally so the one so the previous sale was at 0.08 and then this was already
0: crashed through the floor haven't they
1: exactly yeah the the most recent one at 0.0672 now um so yeah I think that's really interesting as well and I think it just must be because there's more supply and people are just yeah, are just more, I don't want to say degeny. That's maybe a bad phrase. But they're, they're less patient with limited cards because they I think they maybe perceive them as cheap and they perceive them as um, obviously very liquid uh, because there's lots of buyers and there's lots of cards. But I always think that's really interesting, like the uh, the fickleness of the... Like, you know, he might be on the bench today and then come back next week and score 100, right? In which case, his price just goes back up again. But I just yeah. always think it's interesting the... Um, the lack of patience in a limited market and the a lot of the performance-based like buying we see based on you know what somebody has or hasn't done you know Gus Till and this is maybe getting a little bit off topic but Gus Till off is the back of his hat trick yesterday which was not even an SO5 scored game like his limited price graph if oh, my Sarah data is bugging out but um yeah like just spiked massively on the back of that game and you know, I think that's, again, like down to people like not being patient. They're like, oh, wow. Gus just scored a hat-trick. Let me go buy him now. Like, you know, I want him now. Um yeah. And I think that's, I, I just think that's interesting that we have such like uh, such fluctuations based on, you know, nothing but player scores. Well, wow, even happened to his rare as well. But yeah, his limited went from 0.049 to 0.11 <laughs> in the space of two hours, basically. So uh, wow over 100 percent pump so yeah i just i just think that's really interesting and i don't know maybe it's why i don't dabble in the limited market as much but um just because of the you know the volatility
0: yeah i mean i do and i really try not to buy in form players yeah and because i know there's there it's kind of a very leveraged position and if they drop in form they drop in price very quickly I mean, I kind of broke that rule buying Carlos Vela because I wanted a couple of like absolute smashes for my um, for my specialist team. So I bought Vela, I bought Sinjin Ho, I bought Pozuelo this week. Pozuelo was naught point naught two e for limited, like wow. it, literally nothing. Like, yeah. I, and and then he scored yesterday, and suddenly that's bounced back up again. Um, but you know, for me, what I've done is. I've actually been patient with limited and I've done this a few times with quite a great deal of success I did it with Zach McMath, and I did it with Yuki Kobayashi and if I see a player that I think is undervalued in limited I'll go and buy like 15 of them like yeah. but they yeah. they've got to be cheap like I'm not buying like I'm not going in and doing this with like a messier an Amar and thinking oh you know they're going to pump in a month or so I'm getting players I'm like their price doesn't make sense and I did it with um Kasim Adams recently because he was like a DNP at Hoffenheim in Germany and then he's gone to FC Basel in Switzerland and I'm like oh yep. yes champion to challenger move you have some of that thank you very much and I think I bought like maybe like 17 or 18 of his cards he's only got about 200 minted so I'm literally sitting on about 15 percent right. of supply <laughs> at the moment. um but I bought them in at like 0.008 they were like 10 euros a card like it was literally so cheap and like he's already 50 percent increase and he's only played one game um and he's he's someone that is going to be eligible for specialist in his next match right um i'm not sure if he's able to play midweek in the conference league qualifier uh, because he wasn't is. able to play last midweek and that's why he's only played one game so far because he wasn't okay. registered for the conference league but he's like locked in starter in his first game he, he racked up like 80 passes a load of chores oh lovely and I'm looking comparably and I'm like okay well the limited market hasn't realized yet but I know when they do he's pumping hard because his scoring profile is very similar to Wesley Hope at this level and I'm looking and I'm like oh well hope's 0.06 so if I grab this guy at like 0.08, I just need to wait for, <laughs> I know I need to be patient and wait for that like realization because what you tend to see I think with limited is like once the market starts moving, people are like, oh, I need to get in and they and they yeah. go with it. Or once the market starts selling, they're like, oh, 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 I need to get out. And it's really interesting watching how impatient the limited market is. I don't really like, I've not been an active trader on so rare per se like i have traded in and out of cards so i've made some you know some really good profits on cards by being patient and identifying mostly under 23s i don't do this approach with rare because the liquidity is not at that mm-hmm. same level but i think with limited like if you can identify some players that you know you, you see how you get these cycles like you said gus Till had a good performance and boom up goes his, up goes his price curve um you know I've done the same with with Carlos Cuesta like I've stacked up a load of those because I'm like okay well under 23 center back that's you know got a history of decent scores albeit at the end of last season he you know he's, he's injured he had COVID under under 23 player um stackable with van de why 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 is he selling for 0.015 right when other yeah. under 23 sell for 0.1 so in that sense like i do have a trading strategy around being patient in limited um which yeah it's just completely different but again like that's that sort of cost benefit and that's like picking out some of those players that you're getting right at the bottom and i really do try to avoid buying top top limiteds um because you know you can see that drop off quite quickly as well yeah, um so yeah i do i do find it really interesting and i know you sort of doubled recently you've got a little bit more involved just you know in sort of playing that specialist and I think it's really eye-opening on the platform like if you're someone that's been around since you know limited didn't exist and you you're like no no I'm still going to play rare and you know you you actually like getting involved in limited and you're like okay well this is an entirely different market it's so
1: weird completely different ways yeah it really is it's crazy I think the difference in the in the scarcities. and yeah you're right it like I looked at the limited market and i was like "Ah, oh, you know it should be relatively straightforward for me to puzzle out and like you know make some decent trades and it's just not like it's some it's very irrational and very um impatient and impulsive like you know there's lots of impulsive buys if we go back to the gustills and like till pumped up to 0.11 last night 9 p.m by 9 a.m he's back down to 0.085 and it's just because yeah. you know people have Impulsively, a bit like you said, you know, they buy in like bulk or like bunches. Like you know, people are yeah. bought into that hype train, and oh, that's the cheapest one. I'll just buy that. He's going to the moon, whatever. And then actually, yeah. it, it you know settles back down to a to a price which is more at yeah. his value, basically. Because I I think, Yeah, again, I just, that's. struggle oh, sorry, I going say, I think
0: that's an element of impatience showing as well. Yeah, because what you'll see is players that or managers that have bought players very cheap, when they see the price spike. You get a wave of undercutters that come in about 12 or so hours later you get this initial price pump where it just runs up and everyone's just buying cheapest on the market like and you see that sort of vertical line of of like the value of the car just absolutely skyrocketing and then what happens you see a bunch of other impatient managers go oh you know what i want to take a buck on this and then they'll start undercutting each other because they can take a profit any profit and you see that you see these really interesting cycles where it like runs straight up the ladder curves down slowly as everyone starts undercutting each other and then something else happens to run up the ladder again and then you get these sort of like it looks like a wave pattern on the um on the on the volume chart and i just find it like absolutely um crazy like i really do and this is how I, i ended up like i bought and sold like 10 or 12 yuki kobayashi's because I was watching the Vissel Kobe game and I think this was just an advantage of the time zones is that I was watching the game and I saw he got a clearance off the line and he already right. had solid yeah. AA and I was like oh this guy's gonna like smack 100 today because he's got that clearance off the line and um, lo and behold he got 100 Europe woke up and went this guy's got 100 I need to buy him yeah. um, and I literally bought and sold 10 within the space of about 4 hours um because of that lack of patience and someone saw that a player had just pumped a a really good score out and they just wanted to try and jump on that bandwagon and you see that so so often and like you said it doesn't just happen with scored matches it happens with the unscored ones as well so i think there's definitely you know it, it, it's not always predictable and i think that this is the thing is i tried to logic a lot of situations and i think that sometimes you cannot apply logic to how the limited market behaves because it is just you know people responding to others actions and feeling like they're going to miss out and that's why you see like this you know much greater volatility because of the increased liquidity yeah. Um, but yeah I think there's definitely lessons to be learned from either being patient or you know making an active decision to not be patient yeah absolutely Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening in. I think it's been interesting. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation today on patients. Um, and yeah, until next time, if anyone's got any any thoughts or any examples on when they've been patient or not been patient, or or even wants to ask if they should be patient, then uh, <laughs> jump into the comments below and we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. See ya.